Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. You can find out more about my work as an intuitive guide and spiritual teacher at karenhager.com. Now then, my guest today says that spiritual and paranormal experiences can open perspective and improve psychological health. The Reverend Karen E. Herrick is with me today to share what she's learned about this intersection through many years of clinical practice and in her own personal experience. She says we're not alone in meeting life challenges, that no matter what our situation, spiritual and paranormal resources are here now for us to call on them and that we can use them to change things for the better. Are you ready to meet her? The Reverend Karen E. Herrick, Ph.D., completed her master's degree at Rutgers University and her Ph.D. in social work at Union Institute and University. For 30 years, she's shared her clinical expertise in private practice and by lecturing on dysfunctional addictive homes, dissociation, and grief and loss from a Jungian perspective. Dr. Herrick's decades of research consist of paranormal experiences that have been widely reported and appear to be fairly common. These phenomena have been the subject of psychical research for well over a century. Her new book is Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal, and you can find out more about all of this at KarenEHerrick.com. Karen, welcome to Out of the Fog. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad you're here. So you cite the statistic that between 40 and 50% of people have had what you might call a spiritual experience. But what does that mean? What is a spiritual experience? And I'm wondering if it's maybe actually a lot higher than 40, 50%. Oh, I think probably it is. But different types of spiritual experiences are, for instance, an out-of-body experience, a near-death experience, uh, seeing your deceased mom in your bedroom at night, um, having um, all kinds of electrical problems in your house after um, a death of a, a you know a loved one, and um, a Kundalini experience, a reincarnation experience. So just anything that isn't your normal waking state. Um, and transpersonal psychology, which is a psychology that handles all of these types of experiences, um, not just waking state. Uh, believes in studying life um, on other levels of consciousness. So that seeing spirits, mental telepathy, mediumship, all of that. And the statistic, you're right, is 40 to 50%. In 1994, it was 30 to 40%. Mm-hmm. And I believe it, it's much higher. And if we could, that's why I want to educate, because if people could realize there's a difference between a spiritual experience and mental illness, um, then they wouldn't be so afraid. Uh, to tell us about what happened to them. And the difference is that if you are having um, a psychotic um, episode, um, you have, you're more, um, what do I say, agitated, you're more um, uh, believing that I just talked to Christ, I just talked to Muhammad, and uh, you have grandiose um, feelings about that. If you have a spiritual experience, you're, you're humbled by the experience because it touched your heart and your head at the same time. And you're having these feelings of awe and wonderment and, um, you know, just beautiful things. And maybe for the first time, believe there is a God. So there's a big difference in, you know, having psychosis and having a spiritual experience. I think mainly 
people need to know that. Um, so if you know the differences, then you won't walk around feeling afraid because people that have near-death experiences, they say that most of them wait seven years before they tell anybody. And I can't imagine what that's like just walking around thinking, I had this weird thing happen to me and I might be crazy and I hope nobody notices, you know? So sometimes there can be that feeling of shame or or that feeling of uh, fear about telling someone else because that near-death experience, which meant so much to me, and I'm holding it for seven years, if I tell you and you make fun of me or you don't believe me or you tell me that that's against the precepts of our accepted religious um, context, that might make me feel diminished too, not just crazy, but maybe smaller, sadder. Yes, yes. And and a spiritual experience usually is between a person and a higher being that sometimes goes beyond a specific religious affiliation. So maybe they've had something that even their religion says is not possible. You know, so their ego is very confused about, you know, I know what he ever said I could, that this could happen to me. In your work, do you find that people who can share these experiences as part of community find others like them? Is that a part of the way that this can help with mental health? Oh, certainly. Yeah. Um, I know I was doing some training oh, years ago, uh, probably in the 2000, I don't know, maybe four, let's say, in California. And they had um, self-help groups like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. But they would have them for near-death people and out-of-body people. And <laughs> I thought that was wonderful. And I don't know if they still have that in California. Um, but that was a wonderful thing because you could walk in and meet other people that have experienced what you have. And, and they don't look so crazy to you, you know? <laughs> um, I love that. Why do you think some people are more likely to experience these things than others, or or maybe we're all able to perceive other realms or beings, but we just need to learn how? I think we, we all are able to perceive it. I, I know Christ said that anybody could have the um, gifts that he had. However, some people don't believe that, and if you don't believe, you're not going to um, be able to do, you know, what you might want to do. Um, <clears throat> But the people that come to me, um, I started the Center for Children of Alcoholics 30 some years ago. And so they were people that were raised in alcoholic and addictive homes. And I didn't know this then, but they had done the research that the people that were raised in trauma situations had the ability to disassociate easier because they had done that all their life, maybe not to be in the room where their mom and dad were fighting or, you know, where the Christmas tree was going down again and that kind of stuff. So they could pretend they were at the beach or whatever and leave the situation. Well, because you have that ability to disassociate um, as you're growing up, then if you're on the operating table in a hospital or if you're in a car accident, you're going to be able to disassociate and and leave in a spiritual experience easier than um, somebody who wasn't raised with all that trauma. And I think that's why I had all these people that were coming to me because they all came from these you know, traumatic homes. I don't think of dis of dissociation as a as a as a tool that's always healthy, though, because if if 
if all if my stuff is unresolved, if I grow up when I needed to dissociate in order for my survival, I may take that into the rest of my life where I don't need to do it to survive anymore. So where's that healthy intersection where I can use my ability to dissociate my familiarity with kind of getting out of my way and letting other things happen to me? How do you, as as a therapist, find that healthy intersection there? Well, most people just find it when they leave their body <laughs> or, or when they have this um, deja vu that, you know, they were on the Titanic and they died with all this water. Um, so that's when it happens. I, I don't have the answer mm-hmm. as to where is the fine line there. Um, I do believe that your soul is in charge of the types of experiences that you have and that every each one of us would have a different uh, spiritual experience. Um depending on how we were raised and the um, different belief systems we were taught. Is it safe then to explore these things because our soul is with us, because we're always held in that protection? Or is there caution needed before we go jumping right into, let's try to have near-death experiences or right? Is it safe to do all this exploring? Well, as long as you're exploring, you know, in an education way, you're reading books, you're watching, um, you know, TV. Uh, For instance, there's a great um, Netflix uh, surviving death series, which has been on for two years. And they have five one hour shows about different paranormal experiences. And the first one is on near death. And it's a wonderful uh, explanation. All these PhDs that have had near death experience. So if you're watching that, you're just learning. And if you're reading a book about somebody who had one, um, you're just learning that this is what happens. And if you're supposed to have one, it's going to happen to you at some level. And um, yes, you will be guided. I believe you have all kinds of, you have a guardian angel and spiritual guides or who would help you. Um, they're all kind of waiting up there for you to have something more spiritual so that they can, um, uh, they can uh, guide you. <clears throat> so if you're curious about, that kind of spiritual and paranormal experience, is there a a safe way to invite those in? I'm speaking from, so from my own experience, I grew up a very weird psychic child. I asked my guides to shut up and go away when I was about four and a half and I locked everything down tight, super, super tight. I'm also from an alcoholic family. I locked Uh all that stuff down tight, tight, tight. And when I was in my forties, everything came flooding back in a way that was not always super pleasant to experience, but that's what opened me up now to do the work that I'm doing today. Right. Um, Is there a safe way to open up and invite paranormal experience in a, and spiritual experience in a way that doesn't require us to go too far. I think sometimes, especially people who've had abuse and trauma, we, we can be kind of all or nothing in our thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, well, perhaps you could just get ready by meditating, <clears throat> learning how to meditate. And, um, and also uh, what would be helpful is to lower your mental state so you have times in your in your daytime or weekly um, where you don't think because thinking stops us from you know, going into the spiritual realm, I think. And um, so you garden or you take the dog out or you just have mo- moments or minutes when you're meditating, um, listening to quiet music and that you can handle silence 
and just being with yourself. I love that because overanalyzing is, of course, the death of almost everything. Um, right. That's right. <laughs> and so I, I love that that willingness maybe just to be where it's quiet, just to be. I've taught intuitive development for a long time. And one of the things I ask students to do is start to try to catch themselves in the present moment. Right. That ability to, without thinking about it, just surprise yourself by being exactly where you are. And it's in those moments, at least it has been for me when I've had spiritual and paranormal experiences. It's been in those moments when I wasn't thinking about it, wasn't asking for it, wasn't. Those are the moments when things happen, when the when the circle expands a little bit, when we can when we can see a little bit more. Has it been that way for you? I know you share a lot of your personal experiences in the book. Well, yes, I had a, a spiritual experience um, where this other breath came into my body, but I was doing a um, uh, holotropic breath work, which was started by a doctor who um, had been giving people LSD and ecstasy, and, and then they would have spiritual experiences, and he was recording those, and then that got to be a no-no. You can't do that anymore. So he developed this um, breathing technique uh, where you forcefully breathed, and they played music to activate your chakra system. And I had no idea what would happen. I was just there because I was studying transpersonal psychology. And um, so I, you know, just lay down and, and they played the music. And one of the rules was don't think, just breathe. So I try to use that in life, but because it was the first time that I'd been told not to think. So, um, so I just breathed and, and um, I was laying there feeling good for a while and feeling all these different things in your body. And then, all of a sudden I put brought my legs up in the birthing position and um, this um, other breath came into my body. And I thought, whose breath is that? And then I thought, don't think, just breathe. So I just kept breathing and the breath kept breathing with me when I wasn't breathing. So we, we both breathed for a while. And um, then after that, I had asked my partner, because uh, you had a partner to get your water or whatever, if he would push on my feet and he didn't push on my feet right, whatever that meant. And then uh, the trainers came over and one guy got behind me on the floor and he said, hold on to my um, my arms and just push. And so I did. I pushed and I pushed and I pushed. And during that time, I had the feeling or thought, where is my mother? And I thought, why am I thinking that? Don't think, just breathe. So I just kept breathing. And then um, after it was all over, I was, they said, I look like this little baby. And um, I had experienced my original birth of coming into earth. And I'll tell you, it must be a lot easier to die, I think. But um, mm -hmm. then I stood up and when I had come to this conference, which was in Connecticut at a nunnery on the water, I, um, I thought, these people were weird because they believed in reincarnation and all these different things that I didn't believe in at the time. But when I stood up and I looked around the room and half of them are laying on the floor breathing and I'm thinking, I just love them. I just had this awe and this wonderful feeling that we were all connected and that we, all of us were connected to everybody on earth and that there was a God. And so it was just phenomenal. And, um, and then we were taught to, don't talk to anybody, go in the next room and you will draw in a mandala, which is a circle. And that's a Jungian um, technique where um, it, it's supposed to bring chaos together. 
And I drew this flower and the sun and the grass, and I had no idea what that meant. And then we went to lunch because food grounds you. And then we're going to come back after lunch and sit in a circle and explain our drawings, what happened. And so I thought I'd been on the floor about 20 minutes, but I'd been on the floor almost four hours. So I really lost uh, time and space, which, you know, you go into another dimension then. And so I went to lunch, came back, and we all sat around and I watched some people tell about their drawings and um, nobody mentioned another breath came into them. So I didn't mention that. And um, to see, we don't want to look weird. And so when she saw my drawing, she said, oh, that's a rebirth. You had a rebirth. And I had no idea what that meant. And I just said, okay. Well, so then um, I didn't want to go. The guys were, everybody's going out for pizza and a movie that night. And I thought, no, I'm staying here in this nice, safe place. And um, so when you leave and you go into an altered state and you come back, you're, you're not quite the same. Um, and then by Friday, because that was Wednesday, um, I said, you know, you've got to get yourself together because you're going to go out and I'm supposed to lead three other cars to Newark Airport. That was Saturday. And you'll figure this out. You'll figure out what happened to you. And so it took me over a year to figure out that that was the Holy Spirit and um, that that's what I had experienced. Wow. Wow. You're speaking into that idea of mm, after the experience, allowing time to take that in, allowing time to sit with it, allowing time to have it kind of soak in. And I love that you didn't rush yourself, even though it took another year afterwards. I love that you didn't rush yourself. And that to me, in the, in the way that I see these things is another way I can feel into if a spiritual experience is really a spiritual experience, or if it is a function of mental illness, because yes. oftentimes a spiritual experience doesn't have a compulsion or a drive or a need to like hurry up right now and do something does that resonate when I say that yes uh uh-huh and then after that happened uh when I came back to work all these people different different kinds of spiritual experiences my clients were coming in and they I mean they were all really different and I thought to myself if these people are having these and I believe them and I had mine other people are having these, right? And then I decided to get a doctorate um, from the Union Institute. And uh, and my thesis was naming spiritual experiences. So that's what I studied. You're listening to Out of the Fog, and I'm talking with the Reverend Karen E. Herrick, PhD. She's the author of Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal. You can find out more about Karen and her work at KarenEHerrick.com. I'd love to, in the few minutes we have left together, I'd love to hear a little bit about how, about your understanding of how near-death experiences and a belief in reincarnation can also help open perspective and improve mental health, kind of change the way that we go through this life. Okay, well, I don't know about reincarnation, but let's just take a near-death first. Um because some people like me didn't believe there was a God because I thought in an alcoholic home, it's too messy down here. You know, God wouldn't be interested. And, um, but after that, of course, I believed there was a higher power or God. And then, um, and then in, in studying Jung, I believe that we, we did, I did have a purpose. 
And um, I didn't exactly know what that purpose was. Was it becoming a therapist? Um, was there more? Um, so, but I do believe I have a purpose and I still work on that. And then, and then I spent time to stop thinking and just breathing and taking in life, you know, in, a, in an easier way. Um, so I think when you know, when you're more anchored in life, that there is some a higher power that's going to take care of you. It makes you happier and you're not afraid to die then, which is Freud said why people don't want to talk about it because they're so afraid of it. So they just keep it all bottled up until, you know, they get cancer or something, then they've got to face it. And they have such fear um, because they haven't really studied the other side that there may be um, another way. And it, there may be a, a route for you to have uh, to leave your body in your spiritual body, because I believe that we have two bodies, your physical body and your spiritual body. And your spiritual body is shaken down to a molecular level in your and it, it stores in your solar plexus and goes up the vagus nerve, which becomes uh, stronger with vibration. Your whole body vibrates and then it goes out the top of your head usually. And you're and you are you have a cord, the silver cord that's also attached to the vagus nerve, and that goes out there like this elastic that lets you breathe from your physical body. And then you're out there flying around and <laughs> you see whatever you're supposed to see. And then they they always say, something pulls me back. I, I got pulled back in. And they never know what that is. But um, it, I guess it was their time and, and they come back. And then I understand that when you're out there, it's something like, you know, like um, homing pigeons. When they come from Brooklyn to New Jersey, they know how to go back to Brooklyn because mm -hmm. they have that homing um, route. Well, we do too, apparently. So when we're out there flying around, we go where we're supposed to go. And um, and that really changes um, changes your life. Now, reincarnation, the clients that I've had with that, I mean, they just really believe they had that. They died on the Titanic. And I had this woman, you know, coming in, you know, sobbing because, you know, she had relived that. And I said, OK, well, you're all right now. So let's just learn everything we can learn about what happened to the Titanic and uh and I think you're going to be fine. You're just going to have to breathe this in that that you receive this information that normally is veiled over because I do believe that we have past lives, but that we're not always able to see them because it's enough sometimes just handling this life. Yes, that's yeah. true. You, um, I, I often say to my students that the life that means the most is always the one that we're living right now. And right. that, well, there can be useful information gleaned from past lives, but the the focus of of the learning and the engagement is is as I see it meant to be on on this life um, that we're leaving. It's leading. It's easy to get caught up in the horror and sorrow of the Titanic, right? Um, yeah, mm. especially now, when it hits you that that happened to you. <laughs> Well, and to be able to have a safe place to talk about that where no, but you didn't tell that person they was not, they were nuts and they should get out of their, out of your office to have no. a safe place to express that and really feel into what you're feeling is, is so important no matter what the experience is. Yes. That's why I have webinars on internet so that I can teach other therapists that they don't have to have had one, but they can um, help somebody else. Um, come in and out of that experience and to learn from it. How can listeners connect 
with you and some of those webinars, how can they can find out more about your work? Um, on, on the website, KarenEHerrick.com, there's a schedule there, I believe, uh, supposed to be for my webinars. And also there's other free podcasts and other people that have interviewed me so they can, you know, learn more um, about me and, and see me um, in action, so to speak. <laughs> um, for people listening who are starting to maybe feel a little bit more comfortable talking about and thinking about their own spiritual and paranormal experiences, what would you like to be sure that they know? What do you want them to take away from this? Oh, what I want them to take away from this is that half of life is showing up. So anything that you're wondering about, you're not going to find sitting in your couch in your house usually. Um, there used to be a cartoon of an adult child, an alcoholic solving a problem, and they were on the couch with a blanket over their head. So that's not going to work. So you have to get out, um, go go to the library, um, go to Barnes and Nobles, go Google a book that you're in, you might you're interested in the subject, and um, and and learn about it. And then there's a million podcasts on Google or YouTube, and go on there and and listen to some of that. And uh, and then really they're all welcome to just if they have questions to write me. Um, I was a secretary too in this life, so I type over a hundred words a minute, and I don't mind answering questions. Because um, I think sometimes just one question can really help somebody. And that would be Karen at KarenHerrick.com. But that would be on the website, also my email. So Karen at KarenHerrick.com. Sometimes being able to reach out and um, get a little ping back, even from someone you don't know, hearing somebody's voice on a podcast. Um, right. right. As sending an email to someone who was a stranger and that email comes back with warmth and connection. We're living in times where we're so disconnected from each other and where our, our hackles are up and resistance to each other and everything else is at its height. One of the ways in which spiritual experiences um, can change us is that they may also help us be more understanding of and tolerant and open to other people. So if you have questions, ask the questions. If you want to know, don't sit there with a blanket over your head. If you want to know, <laughs> like, go, go find out. Um, right. Oh, Karen, thank you so much for talking to me. And thank you for the good work you're doing in the world. Well, you're very welcome. And thank you for what you do. I've been talking with the Reverend Karen E. Herrick, PhD. She's the author of Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal. You can find out more about Karen and her work at KarenEHerrick.com. I've been saying that over and over. Now I'm going to spell it. So are you ready? It's K-A-R-E-N, the letter E, Herrick, H-E-R-R-I-C-K, KarenEHerrick.com. Her email address is there if you've got questions. You can also find out about upcoming webinars and figure out how to get your hands on that very interesting book, Psychology of the Soul and the Paranormal. And of course, you're always welcome over at KarenHager.com. It's a great place to find out about upcoming classes and events. You can even book a private session with me there if you're so inclined. And if you follow me on Instagram where I'm Fog City Psychic, oh, the fun never ends over there. It's jigsaw puzzles and pictures of Maisie the dog and whatever, whatever else is sparking my fancy that day. It'll show up on Instagram. So I'm Fog City Psychic over there. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. <laughs>